0: From
1: WFIU in Bloomington, Indiana, I'm Kate Young and this is Earth Eats. A community is not resilient unless those benefits that we have from natural resources like urban trees are distributed in a way that all people are benefiting from them. And we do know that we have areas of the city that have lower canopy cover and some of those are associated also with lower income communities and marginalized communities. And arguably, those are the people that would be most benefited by ecosystem services and and the benefits of trees. This week on the show, a conversation with Sarah Mincy
0: and Hannah Gregory of Canopy Bloomington, an organization dedicated to community engagement with the urban forest. And we drop in on a tree planting event on a school playground. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to Earth Eats. I'm Kate Young. Did you know that black locust trees are rot resistant and therefore they make great fence posts? Oak firewood burns slow, while pine and cedar catch quickly and burn fast. Redbud flowers are edible, and mulberries are one of the first fruits to ripen here in southern Indiana. There was a time in human history in which All of us would know these things, and more, about the trees that grow around us. We would need to know for day-to-day survival. These days, many of us suffer from what some botanists refer to as tree blindness. We can't identify the many species that grow around us, and we often don't notice trees at all unless we need some shade on a hot sunny day or a fallen branch has blocked the road after a storm. My guests on today's show hope to address our lack of
2: tree awareness. My name is Hannah Gregory and I'm the Forestry Director for Canopy Bloomington.
1: I'm Sarah Mincy and I'm a co-founder of Canopy Bloomington and I now serve as the Vice President of our board. I'm a faculty member at IU and I study urban forest management there. Their
0: organization, Canopy Bloomington, has as its mission to quote, engage the Bloomington community in planting and caring for our urban forest Together, in order to build a resilient and equitable green city for all. I asked Hannah and Sarah to start our conversation by unpacking that mission statement. Here's Hannah, starting with a definition of the urban forest.
2: Typically when we think about a forest, we think of, like, Hoosier National Forest, or out by a Creek State Park. So like very natural forest setting is typically what we think of. And an urban forest exists in the city, and it exists in multiple areas in the city. So think of park trees, the trees that we see along the streets at downtown, the trees that are in people's yard. So it crosses a lot of boundaries. So there's privately owned trees, city owned trees, and all those trees together make up an urban forest.
0: Hannah, you touched on this a little bit, that often we, when we think of a forest, we think of like a specific cluster of trees in a specific location. And mm-hmm. thinking of all these kind of scattered trees
1: as a forest, I think is maybe a, a new concept
2: for mm-hmm. some people.
1: One of the typologies I typically use to describe urban forests is that there are um, remnant trees that nobody planted, right, that, that have, some of them even old growth status in cities. There are a lot of planted trees. And there are emergent trees, trees that just come up from seeds, you know, every growing season, right? So lots of different kinds. Traditional forestry, there's a division of forestry called silviculture, and they focus on managing patches, or stands of trees, right? So there's a, a, an equivalent potentially in urban forestry, urban silviculture, you could consider thinking about those different patches, whether they're divided by property rights, different kinds of property rights, or different functions. They're, they are effectively stands that could be potentially managed for different goals. And that is not my idea, I should say. That is the concept of Dr. Bernie Fisher, who is another board member of Canopy Bloomington. So got to give credit where credit is due. So community engagement is
2: an important part of this mission. Can you talk about that? One of the main missions of Of Canopy Bloomington is connecting people to the urban forest. I think a lot about this concept of tree blindness, whereas people exist in the city and when they're walking down streets and when they're enjoying their parks, they know that there are trees there and that there's herbaceous plants and lawn, but they don't necessarily know much about the trees. They don't recognize that there's different species. So part of our mission is just connecting people connecting them with the benefits that trees provide to us and how to properly care for that forest. So we do collaborative tree plantings with different community organizations and people are sort of a main component of that, of that mission.
1: Trees in cities really are this almost a common pool resource, honestly, or, you know, public good. They are subject to threats and removal. And so if we know that trees give us benefits across the city and we want them to be there, then we have to have everybody engaged in understanding that. So that starts that community engagement, I think, starts from the very beginning about asking a community whether or not they actually want trees. There are places where tree, people don't want trees and there are good reason not to have trees. One example is a a garden, right? You don't want to have trees in a space where you need sunlight, right? So that wouldn't work if we went into a space that was a vacant lot that people were planning a garden. And we wanted to have trees there, right? So the first question is, do we do we even want trees in this space with the people who live there? But then it goes all the way to the end after you've engaged them in planting and you've chosen species with them that make sense for their lives. Then to the, the watering, the mulching and the maintenance of trees, if you have community members engaged at all stages, then it's much more likely that you're co-producing a sustainable resource. And we know this from Years and years and years of research, some of it done right here in Bloomington by Lynn Ostrom, the Nobel Laureate of Indiana University, who studied how do we sustain natural resources like this with the community. Tree planting
0: is a big part of the work that you're doing, but also it's more than planting, it's also caring for the the trees, for new trees that you're planting plus the existing trees that are already there. Could you talk about those two actions and how your organization is participating in bull.
2: When we do a planting with a community organization, that could be a school, church, neighborhood, etc., we provide them with the knowledge that they need to continue the care of those trees, and we boost that by mulching the trees, putting trunk guards in all the trees, which is going to protect from deer, which is a really common factor that leads to young tree death in Bloomington because we have so many deer and then water gators, which is going to help folks keep their trees watered. So we provide them with the information that they need of how long they need to water their trees for throughout the season. And and actually, we can come back and help them. So, for example, our very first tree planting was in October of 2021, and we came back that next spring and met with the neighborhood that we had planted with and just checked in with them, made sure that they were keeping up with the care of the trees that we planted and answered any questions that they had that could improve their knowledge to be able to do that successfully. Can you say, one, what is a water gator? (laughs) So a water gator, so if you're driving around Bloomington, a lot of times you'll see these on street trees or those tall green watering bags. I think some of the trees on campus also have them. So basically they are this watering bag that you can fill up with a hose and it slowly releases the water so it helps keep the trees watered over a longer period of time.
0: And I was also wondering what kind of damage do deer typically inflict on a young tree?
2: Generally, it's them rubbing their antlers on the trunk of the tree and also eating the foliage. But generally, the rubbing of the antlers on the tree causes more damage. The trunk guards that we install are a really cheap but effective tool to fight back against that because it just provides like a a plastic barrier to where deer can't do that. So if the if a young tree
0: gets that kind of damage on it, it just does it just make it more susceptible to disease or what is the... Problem?
2: Yeah, so the trees that we plant are fairly large already. So we plant trees that are already like around an inch and a half in DBH, which is um, the diameter of the tree, and between six and seven feet tall. So we're already planting fairly large trees. But if a if a deer is rubbing its antlers it can either like push the tree out of the ground or it can leave a wound that then yeah would cause a tree to be more susceptible to like pests and diseases and stuff so it's a very simple way to help people protect their trees from from that and i guess if the if
1: uh, the deer made it all all the way around the circumference of the trunk. It could even girdle the tree, right? So cut off the vascular system for the tree to be able to function and death would occur.
0: And then at some point, I guess you take those off, like once they're old enough or?
2: Yeah. So the the ones that we um, install on the trees, which are um, generally the ones that people use there until the tree is four inches in DBH.
0: So finally, in your mission statement, it says to build a resilient and equitably green city for all. And I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of trees in urban communities and and what is meant by resilient
1: and equitably green I'll start but I definitely want to hear what you have to say Hannah but um, so in some ways this was one of the most little uh, controversial pieces of the mission as we, we were putting it together because um, to, to me resilience includes equity within it right so my definition of resilience um, has that component but but resilience is uh, are, is basically having characteristics that allow uh, a system to be able to respond to uh, disturbances and continue to function. And so... What is the major disturbance of our time? It's climate change. And so we have to be thinking ahead as an organization to build a resilient urban forest, to be putting trees in the ground that are the right species for the conditions that we know, that we project that we're going to be experiencing in the state of Indiana. And for a large part, that means we are planting species that are typically found further south. Their native ranges have typically been further south, but they're moving. And, um, and some of the species that we have always been able to plant in Indiana or have grown naturally here are no longer thriving. And so that, that's part of resilience is thinking about the, the disaster, the <laughs> disturbance of climate change that is upon us and, and being able to respond to that now as these so slow growing organisms you know, need to be able to withstand that over time to provide benefits. But the equity piece, I think we decided to pull that out separately because we really, really wanted to emphasize that a community is not resilient unless those benefits that we have uh, from natural resources like urban trees are distributed in a way that all people are benefiting from them. And we do know that we have uh, areas of the city that have lower canopy cover, and some of those are associated also with lower income communities and marginalized communities. And arguably, those are the people that would be uh, most benefited by ecosystem services and, and the benefits of trees. For example, a tree large enough that shades a home means the energy costs for that home are lower. So the folks who are lower income would certainly benefit more, right? Mm -hmm. There's been some really good research that shows that investments in lower income and marginalized communities relative to more wealthy communities in terms of growing an urban forest actually have larger health benefits, physical health benefits on the community members that are otherwise marginalized, lower income relative to those wealthier communities. So we really know that it, this is this is about improving the environment for everyone and bringing the canopy cover up in those lower canopy covered areas and thinking about equity for them in terms of the benefits
2: tree equity is sort of the term it's been sort of popularized over the past few years. The American Forests Nonprofit Organization, which is a national nonprofit that does a lot of reforestation, they released a tool called the Tree Equity Tool. And they assigned a tree equity score to different cities across the United States and Bloomington being one of them, where you can get an overall score of the tree equity. So it bases it off of current canopy, a bunch of other climate and ecological related variables and then also socioeconomic variables like age race income i think population density was one of them and so it assigns a score and then if you zoom into your city it breaks down that score into different block groups so you can really see the variation in equity across a single city so while bloomington may have a really great overall tree equity score closer look shows us that there are areas of Bloomington that are really lacking in canopy cover and have those other compounding socioeconomic impacts. So we have used that data and then also Bloomington's tree inventory and canopy assessment data that was completed in 2018, as well as some other variables to come up with our own sort of priority planting scheme that we use to select planting locations, both at the neighborhood level and at the organization level. So a lot of the organizations that we plant with serve those demographics that we're interested in boosting this tree equity score. So yeah, so all the decisions that we make are backed by this data analysis that we have.
0: Could you say what some of those health benefits are that you talked about being even stronger in marginalized communities? The, the health benefits of trees.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, let me speak to that generally. I'd have to pull that paper up to know exactly what the factors <laughs> yeah. were that they were that they were looking at. But but that one was so particularly interesting, right? Because you of the comparison that they made to say the same intervention actually made a bigger impact on these you know whether it was cardiovascular you know markers or whatever it was bigger there so generally though the health benefits of urban forests range from physical Mental and and social well being for people. So, there are physical health benefits in terms of, and I'm just going to give a few examples. Trees can help clean the air, right? So, there are pollutants within the air that they can help remove. So, that can help our, our cardiovascular health and our lung health. Trees can help us in terms of mental health as well. There are several studies that, I shouldn't say several probably thousands of studies at this point that show how green spaces can impact people's cortisol levels. You enter into forests for forest bathing for a reason. (laughs) You know, there's a concept about that. It reduces
0: stress. I'm going to jump in here briefly. Had you ever heard of forest bathing before today? It's a term that showed up in the 1980s in Japan, shinrin-yoku, meaning forest bathing or taking in the atmosphere of the forest. The Masumoto family farm in California's Central Valley offers blossom bathing when their peach trees are flowering. It sounds really lovely. We have a link about that on our website, eartheats.org. Okay,
1: back to Sarah. It can help with learning environments, increased learning, productivity in work environments, so, so all of that sort of related to, to mental health and then social well-being there are a lot of studies that show when we have well managed green spaces that are treed spaces where there's nice shade they are naturally a place where people can gather and make connections when we when we provide that in public spaces we are developing a, a location where there can be social ties, just learning people's names in your neighborhood starts to make a difference because that's the start of this sort of, I guess, pipeline to social cohesion and then community capacity to do more as a group to act together.
2: I will say there's a really great website, I think it's by the University of Washington, the Green Cities Good Health, that compiles all of these benefits of trees and breaks them down into different categories, whether it's like economic, um, ecological, social, health, etc. It compiles all the research for each of those specific benefits. And then one of the ones that I'm specifically interested in is the relationship between trees and heat. Um, So we know that trees, you know, provide shade and can... Lessen the impact of heat islands in cities. We're actually Canopy has joined the heat management task force in Bloomington. So the Bloomington is a new task force that's focusing on emergency heat management in the city, and trees being one of the factors that will play into that long-term goal of uh, reducing heat islands in Bloomington.
1: What is a heat island? The physics behind urban heat island is the idea that in a city we have so much more surface that is dark in color. It absorbs solar radiation, and then it re-radiates that heat back, particularly at night. And so, at uh, the temperature difference between an urban environment and the natural surrounding area can be really extreme, particularly at night. And so, one of the biggest, I think it is arguably lar- the largest public health issue, Related to climate change is, is heat and death by uh, extreme heat, and that is particularly difficult at night. That's when we see a lot of that impact. So if we vegetate a city, we have less of that cover that's absorbing solar radiation. The leaf, leaf area can reflect solar radiation mm-hmm. during the day, so there's less area to absorb it and re-radiate that heat. And then, of course, you have the effect also of these microclimates under trees that are shade.
0: Mm-hmm yeah that just makes me think of somewhat near my house when i used to walk home regularly i would go a little bit farther just mm-hmm. to walk up this alley that seemed to have this little microclimate mm-hmm. that was just noticeably cooler and more pleasant cuz it was you know covered with trees yeah. and and i also think that when you think about a nice neighborhood it's usually got mature trees, mm-hmm. it's usually got that canopy, that feeling that it's been here a while, but also just that green space and the beauty and the shade and you know, just all those things. Yeah, it, I, there's actually
1: evidence that trees increase property value. Yeah, I would think so.
0: <laughs> I'm speaking with Sarah Mincy and Hannah Gregory of Canopy Bloomington, talking about the benefits of trees in cities. After a short break, we'll drop in on a tree planting at Fairview Elementary near downtown Bloomington and continue our conversation with Sarah and Hannah. Stay with us. Kate Young here. This is Earth Eats. The overcast sky was threatening rain, but the folks gathering on the edge of the playground near downtown Bloomington were determined to complete their task. On a damp spring day during the last week of the school year, students at Fairview Elementary had the chance to leave their classrooms and venture onto the playground to help plant trees with Canopy Bloomington. For this tree planting project, Canopy Bloomington brought two groups together to get the trees in the ground. The first was a group of adult volunteers from the car rental company, Enterprise. Enterprise is privately owned by the Taylor family and they have a commitment to volunteering in the communities where they're located. Tree planting is part of what they do. Here's one of their volunteers talking about what he sees as the value in tree planting.
2: I definitely feel like you know, plants improve the overall quality of you know, life and oxygen and you know, the overall well-being of human beings.
0: The staff and volunteers worked with school children ranging from kindergarten to sixth grade to plant the trees. The adults were there to help with the heavy lifting, in this case digging, and to support the young volunteers and to guide their enthusiastic hands and feet towards nurturing the trees and away from damaging them.
2: So you'll see the trees are mostly laying on the ground and we want to make sure we're very gentle with them because they're baby trees and they're very fragile we so wanna get be very gentle with our touches with them, okay?
0: Hannah Gregory, Sarah Mency, and Ava Hartman were there from Canopy Bloomington with the trees, the tools, and the expertise needed for a successful community planting day.
2: First, we wanna make sure we're gonna widen this a little bit. Have you guys ever dug a hole before? Yeah! Yeah. That's the biggest hole you've ever seen?
0: <laughs> Lots of kids wanted to dig holes for the trees, but once one child spotted an earthworm in the dirt, it usually captured the attention of all the kids in the group.
2: James, Did see you, see you see find see. one? Look. I found. I the one hold a worm. I hold the worm
1: the whole time. Good job. James, sure. We're done digging. James. We're about to put a tree in the ground. I have a worm. You guys, look. We're ready to put the tree in the ground. We're gonna roll the tree with the root ball so that it doesn't hurt it. Did you, Ew, Are you ready? Another
2: worm. Uh, another worm?
1: Yeah. Can I? Oh my God! It's so small. <laughs> yeah. I'll hold the the baby worm. James has the baby. And Daddy has, has a mommy, and I have a tree. Look, let's put it in the hole. Are you ready? Oh my gosh. I guess
0: a worm enough. has a little more personality than a tree. To start with, the location for each tree was marked, and the trees were placed down on their sides. The kids moved in and out of the planting event at 20 minute intervals, which allowed most of the kids at the school a chance to cycle through and to play a role in the planting. The first step is to dig a hole, but not too deep.
1: The worst thing you can do for a tree is dig a hole that's too deep and too big. Because then it sinks. We have clay soils, and they settle and they sink. And when a tree sinks in, then the water pools up around the top and it dies. It girdles it. So it's much better to have it high, above grade.
0: Next, free the tree's root ball from its protective bag. This requires cutting with a sharp garden knife called a hori-hori.
2: You have? Yeah! I wow. big, big, big Adults
0: big, only, obviously. Big wow. Then the tree is gently lifted and guided into the prepared hole. Everyone helps to fill in the dirt around it. Once all the trees are planted, they need stakes and trunk guards and water gaiters and a donut of mulch around the base of the tree. With more than 15 trees in this schoolyard planting, there's enough work to last the day and to give almost every child a chance to participate.
1: Then you can all say you helped plant this tree and someday, someday when you're old, you'll come back to this beautiful school and this tree will be, how big?
2: Bigger. Really
0: While the Fairview campus is not devoid of trees and the surrounding neighborhood has a relatively mature canopy, there was certainly a lot of open, unshaded space on the school grounds, and the trees were thoughtfully placed not to interfere with open play in the fields. Fairview is a public school in the center of Bloomington with the most racially diverse population and with the highest percentage of students qualifying for free and reduced lunches of all the schools in the district. This site meets one of Canopy Bloomington's criteria for prioritized tree planting.
1: Our focus is to try to increase the canopy cover in Bloomington, but to particularly focus on areas that are low-income, marginalized, minority communities who typically have had that kind of marginalization. And we do know that about Bloomington—that that there are there is this inequity. There are areas that in, are inequitably covered by trees, and this area is one of them.
0: After a quick break, we'll hear more from Sarah Mincy and Hannah Gregory about how Canopy Bloomington chooses their tree planting sites. Stay with us.
2: Teamwork. 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 I, I got this. One. I got it. There we go. I got it. <laughs> Okay, we're going to put everything in a nice pile, so that it's nice and easy to clean up after.
0: Kate Young here, this is Earth Eats, and I'm back in the studio with Sarah Mency and Hannah Gregory of Canopy Bloomington. You talked about what you use to set the priorities for where you're gonna plant. When you're making decisions about where to do plantings or who to do plantings with, is it driven by the places that are in the most desperate need of a tree canopy? Or is it also somewhat driven by who wants to partner with you? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of like, Churches and eco-focused neighborhoods like Evergreen.
2: Yeah, so I think there's sort of two different a- aspects to the way that we do our outreach. One of which is that we do do outreach to like our priority neighborhoods or community organizations that are in these lower canopy areas, and then we also do outreach to organizations like schools, churches that are sort of common meeting places for the, and that serve the demographics that we're interested in in working with. So, for example, we're going to be doing a planting this weekend, three different church communities. And the way that I had initially reached out to them was, one, they had an interest in environmental issues. Like they have like a longstanding history of like solar panels and community gardens. So there was already that interest there in that community, which is important because we know that those folks are going to be interested in like the long term care of those trees that we're going to plant with them. And then we also use the map So these three church communities were on a high priority designated area from our analysis. So that was the initial reason why I reached out to them.
1: Yeah, I I just I'm excited about the organization growing and adapting. You know, we we're only two years old, right? So we were initially all gangbusters about getting out into neighborhoods that were low canopy neighborhoods and potentially, you know, lower socioeconomic areas. That would be the those were the ones that showed up, obviously, on the analysis for priority. And, you know, I knew this from my own research and Hannah did, too. Hannah studied this kind of thing. That you can't just go into a neighborhood and expect that community members are going to receptive necessarily to an organization coming in to, to plant trees, particularly for communities that have other bigger important issues that they're dealing with, right? If you're worried about transportation to work or getting food on the table or whatever, then probably one of the last things you're going to think about is helping as a volunteer for anything, including tree watering or something like that. So, uh, you know, certainly don't give give up on those communities because we're interested in that long-term benefit that we know that they can gain from, from trees. But it has to start with meeting basic needs first and going in and communicating with them and learning about what their needs are and building trust with them and helping them connect with resources that they that are more of a priority for them to be able to get to a point where we could actually plant with them. So one of the interesting adaptations I think we've made as an organization is to realize that if we've got money to put trees in the ground today, then we can work with some of these organizations like faith-based organizations um, or uh, nonprofit organizations like New Hope is another one that we're working with that serve these communities outside of the residential spaces that, that those individuals are in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if they happen to also be in a low-canopied low area, perfect, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: Can we talk about calorie pairs? Is that how you say mm-hmm. that? Yeah.
0: It's calorie pears? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what is a calorie pear? What do they look
2: like? And what's the problem with them? Calorie pear were a really popular landscaping tree in Bloomington and also in cities across the Midwest. I think they started planting them in like the 90s. Does that sound about right? Yeah, there's a history, a long history before that of developing the cultivar. Yeah, but, but yeah. So there was a single cultivar, the Bradford pear, that was being planted and it was a sterile tree, so it didn't reproduce. But then other cultivars of the pear tree began being planted and then. those different cultivars hybridized and then that's where we got to where we are now. So now we have all these escaped invasions from those once thought to be sterile landscape trees in our natural spaces and in our woodlots and along our roadways and things like that. So it's an invasive species which means that it's not native to the area and then it also causes harm when trees reproduce outside of the specific landscape that they were initially planted in. So it is a really popular tree in Bloomington. Unfortunately, I think they're, it's like in the top five most popular species planted, at least in the public space. And then there's, of course, like thousands of others that are planted outside of the public space that weren't captured in the city's inventory. But if you drive along a road, so I live off of 446, and if you drive down that road in the spring, it's just speckled with the white flowers. So the white flowers are sort of the telltale sign of a calorie pear. So they flower really early. They're one of the first tree species to flower in the spring, shortly following after the flowering of the calorie pear. There is the service berry, which is native. They look sort of similar in their early stages when there's no leaves on the tree yet, but service berry is a native tree that produces delicious berries that are edible. So calorie pear is really easy to spot early in the spring. And there's multiple campaigns going on around town. MC Iris, Monroe County, Identifying Reduce Invasive Species. It was their species of interest last year, and that's continuing into this year, where they're encouraging folks to reduce calorie pears on their property. And I think they're doing like a free tree if you get rid of a calorie pear on your property. And then the city also has a plan to reduce the number of calorie pears that are planted in the public space. I'd just
1: add on to that, you know, you said it perfectly, the, the harm mm-hmm. though is, is what you generally hear about in terms of invasive species, that they're just they dominate. The landscape. And so they don't allow for other native species to to grow in in these spaces. And if we don't have native species, then we don't have the plants to which our insects are adapted and our birds are adapted and, and that kind of thing. So it, there are ecosystem effects from that, right? And contrary to, you know, what you might think of with its name, a pear, it doesn't produce an edible fruit. So all in all, probably not a good to have
2: around yeah Yeah. and they're also very brittle so they have a very poor branching structure and so a lot of times after a big storm in Bloomington when you're driving around like a neighborhood that was once lined or still is lined with calorie pears, you'll see that their branches will just like break off so if you see a fallen tree after a storm or a split tree it's highly likely that it's a Bradford pear especially if it's planted in the right of way
1: So I'm really happy that there are these campaigns like MCIRIS is doing and I think the city of Bloomington and, and Indian University have been slowly trying to remove them from the areas that they manage. The sooner we do that kind of thing, the sooner we can get a native tree in that space where that calorie once was. And that means the sooner it gets large and starts to produce ecosystem services for us. So,
0: Yeah, I think that's what's kind of hard is to see a bunch of them cut down like mm-hmm. along the line. I know they took some out. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard to see a, a
1: mature tree removed yeah. because it's not replaced by a mature tree. I think that is one of the challenges of Urban forestry—it's a long game, right? <laughs> You're you are putting something in the ground, and um, it will be some time before you see it get to a size where it's actually producing a lot of benefits for people. But like I said, I think that there's an opportunity cost for every space we have a calorie pair in the ground, um, which never gets very big, right? They don't get that tall, and they don't produce a very broad canopy. Mm-hmm. Um, those large yeah, kind of. Right. Mm-hmm. Cone-shaped Co- or something. Yeah, kind of yeah. columnar kind of often. Yeah. And yeah, so so a lot of the benefits that come from urban trees come from the larger canopy trees because you have more surface area. You're able to capture more precipitation. So it affects stormwater management more. The larger the canopy, the more shade. You know, so the, the list goes on and on with what a larger canopy tree does <coughs> besides the fact that you want it to be native to benefit the ecosystem.
0: Yeah, and having native species, it sounds like, is also part of what you were talking about with the resilience. Mm -hmm. Having species that are going to be able to
1: adapt and
0: last, and like you said, all the insects and other animals that sort of rely on.
1: Yeah, and one of the interesting parts of that is, and I think this is, uh, um, some folks might not understand that sometimes we choose not to plant particular natives that have... um, Been a big part of our community urban forest. For example, maple, um, sugar maple, silver maple, red maple, these all are in the top 10, 12 most abundant species that we have across the city. Um, and, And there's a couple problems. One, if you are dominating, you know, you make up a huge portion of the urban forest, what happens when? There is a uh, pest that comes and targets that particular species or genus. And if you wipe out all of that and it was a big chunk of your urban forest, all of a sudden you've lost a big chunk of your urban forest and ecosystem services that come along with it. That's what happened with ash trees and emerald ash borer. Um, And there's a long story of that, right? With chestnut, (laughs) chestnut, uh, Dutch elm disease and elm trees, right? Part of resilience is diversity you have to have diversity, right? But the other issues with maples are related to climate change. We are seeing uh, what people are calling maple decline. There's not necessarily one specific cause for this. We think it's a co- compound effect. Uh, a lot of it has to do with climate, precipitation, and heat. But we're, we're seeing a major decline in the health of our maple trees. And so we're starting to move away from planting those.
0: I know that the silver maple is also something that the city is kind of Mm -hmm. hoping to not plant more of and maybe
2: remove some of the ones and are there particular problems with a silver maple? So silver maple is a really, really fast growing tree and generally when you have a Species of tree that grows really fast ends up being fairly brittle in structure. So it's similar to the Bradford pear in the fact that it has poor form and a lot of the branches that you see that will fall after a storm, generally either silver maple or a Bradford pear. Also, silver maples get massive. The ones that were once planted in the right of way, that strip of lawn between the sidewalk and the street. When they were planted, I don't think there was a whole lot of thought of how big those trees would get. And so now a lot of like the silver maples, they're pulling up sidewalks and things like that because they shouldn't have been planted there.
1: I read a really great article about silver maples are like the coyotes of trees. They're kind of scrappy, generalist, they yeah. do well anywhere, you know, they yeah. make they, they fill these niches and and they and they've served a really good purpose. You know, in the sixties when they were being planted, seventies when they were being planted in new developments, they produce shade really quickly. Yeah. And for they're those beautiful foms. trees. They I mean,
2: if you see a silver maple just out in a the field, they can get enormous and so they're really beautiful trees. But yeah, in the, in the urban space, there needs to be some more thought about like selection of like right tree, right place.
0: So I w- wanted to give you a chance to talk about your Youth Tree Tenders program. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we launched the program this past summer. And last summer, it was funded by the Community Foundation of Bloomington and Monroe County, and it was in partnership with the City of Bloomington. So, the idea of the Youth Tree Tenders program is to give high school age kids a sort of fulfilling outdoor role, so a fun summer job that they can get some professional enrichment from and get their hands dirty and be able to learn about trees and the importance of them. So the tasks that are associated with the Youth Tree Tenders program is pruning, mulching, watering, root excavation, which is done to a lot of trees because a lot of young trees are planted too deep, so you have to kind of dig out the base of them to help them thrive better. It's a really common problem in Bloomington because of our clay soils that trees just kind of sink in when you plant them. This program worked out really well as a partnership with the city of Bloomington because the City of Bloomington had just established Switchyard Park and there are around 600 trees that were planted in that park and they're all very small so they're not necessarily providing the shade that we would like to see from them yet. They require a lot of care. So young trees the first three years in their ground they require a lot of watering, mulching, formative pruning, removal of like dead branches to avoid diseases and things like that from getting into the young tree. So we're providing the care to all those young trees in the park which is great for Bloomington, the City of Bloomington and for Canopy Bloomington. The city of Bloomington is getting care for their young trees, and we're able to provide this professional enrichment for high school age students. And about how many... Folks are in that. Yeah. So Each um cohort. we so last year we hired four kids. So we're starting very small. And this year we'll probably hire around the same. So four high school age kids. And eventually we kind of aspire this program to be similar to what Keep Indianapolis Beautiful, which is Keep America Beautiful affiliate in Indianapolis. They have a huge urban forestry program. And they have something called a youth tree team where they hire on like a hundred teenage kids. So it's huge. So they were really helpful in helping us format and develop this program. But yeah, so we're starting small to we have a very small team, but uh, the kids who were involved last year loved it.
1: Envision a Bloomington where we've got hundreds of high schoolers out helping us water those trees we planted in the spring or, or the fall before. And we're growing that canopy quicker because we have kids engaged in that work. And they're getting all of those mental and physical and social Health benefits from being engaged in stewarding the urban forest. So I think that's another way that we're meeting our overarching goal.
0: Yeah. And also just building that expertise. Mm Because I think, you know, when you were talking about the root excavation, that just sounds so complicated and so scary. (laughs) Like, I would not dare to do that to my own trees. And so just realizing, you know, I I think pruning is really complicated and hard to figure out on your own. So just building that knowledge base in the community of people who know how to tend trees. Yeah,
2: and I will say it was really exciting because last year, one of our youth tree tenders, like after the program ended, she was super, super interested in continuing her engagement in the urban forest. So she, a project for her class, she did a really focused semester Long project on urban forestry. And then she invited us to do a tree planting at her school. So we just did a tree planting at Bloomington High School South last Monday. And that was really fun because I think there were around fifty to seventy students that were involved in planting those trees. So it was kind of cool to see that ripple effect.
1: And I think we we know from being involved in in this industry and from board members we have who work in arboriculture, that there's a really big need for a pipeline of, uh, of, of young people to work in urban forestry and arboriculture who want to be professionals. Unfortunately, I think it's been sort of considered maybe not not a professional track for people but it actually is and they are looking for students who want to move from you know high school experiences like this on to college where they study something like environmental science or they take my urban forest management class you know and then they move on to work work with organizations like bluestone and and really treat it in uh, as the professional track that it deserves do you do any work or partnership or anything with the bloomington community orchard
2: So the orchard is a a relationship that we'd like to build. We get a lot of interest in planting fruit trees. And obviously, like as a small organization, new organization, we're sort of building our palette of trees that we offer to the organizations and neighborhoods that we plant with. And it's like a nice list of native species, generally deciduous hardwoods and not necessarily fruit trees. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the relationships that I'd like to build out a bit more
1: I have to give a shout out to Bernie Fisher. I mentioned him earlier. He's on our board. Professor Emeritus from IU. When I was a graduate student with Bernie, Amy Countryman wrote the thesis about how we should have a community orchard here in Bloomington. And that was the origin of our our orchard that we all now enjoy so much and And then Bernie was the one who helped guide me to urban forest management and my co-found Canopy. So I really think it's important to give that credit back to Bernie that a lot of this work has happened because he's been here in this community.
0: When you were talking earlier about about how tree planting is is the long game, mm-hmm. and i I've thought about that so much any time I've talked to anybody who's doing tree planting or, you know, like, nut trees in particular Mm -hmm. like that is really the long game (laughs) and and I just know from my own experience with fruit trees and then even when they do start producing they may not be exactly the picture perfect fruit you were hoping for Mm -hmm. and you know they're very really hard to manage Um, but I just think trees in general especially when you're talking about that canopy when you're talking about the shade they provide and that beauty that they provide in a neighborhood or in any kind of space it's it requires a vision and it requires Mm -hmm. doing something putting effort into something that you might not benefit from Mm -hmm. and i would love to hear you reflect on that a little bit or just talk about that
1: let's be clear they are green infrastructure an urban forest can function in many of the same ways that gray infrastructure can, and it appreciates in value. It doesn't start falling apart like concrete does. You know, The minute you, you put in a pipe, it's starting to rust. Tree canopies grow over time, and as they grow, they produce more of those services. And so it, it is the long game, but it's a good game to be playing, right? It's a good investment. The return is going only going to grow, whereas you have to continue to replace man-made structures.
2: I think the other thing is is encouraging people to to think like long term because a lot of people may look at Bloomington and say we have a ton of trees it looks really beautiful right now we don't need more trees but people don't necessarily understand that trees (laughs) die and they need to be taken out and replaced and if that replacement isn't happening then we're going to slowly continue to lose our canopy cover and it's not going to look the same as it does now And 10 or 20 or 30 years if we're not actively and proactively planting trees to replace what we're bound to lose.
1: And we have evidence of that, right? One of the reasons that I started this organization was right after the city of Bloomington paid Davie Resource Group, the consulting group, to come in and do a canopy cover assessment of the city. They looked at canopy change over a decade, and they found that it had declined. And we all know about the changes that are coming with climate change and that are here. Increased precipitation, larger storm events, more heat, and drought in the summer and fall. Our, our urban forest is challenged more than it ever has been. And so in the last decade, if we saw decline, then we'll certainly see more decline, unless, unless we're all doing our part to contribute to grow it. Diversity is incredibly important to resilience, and it's not just biological diversity, it's also social diversity. So urban forests are social ecological systems. We cannot separate people from the trees and other plants that grow in our city. And so just as it's important to think about having lots of different species that can each provide different kinds of functions and services both to the natural world and to different kinds of people. It's also important to have diversity in the kinds of people that are engaged in managing the urban forest. It's critical that we have community engagement in desiring trees, placing them, and caring for them. And that means age diversity, you know, race, uh, gender, whatever, all kinds of diversity. We want people to be engaged with us because then we know we're meeting our community's needs. That was Sarah Mincy and Hannah Gregory of Canopy Bloomington.
0: Thank you both so much for talking with me. This has been really interesting. I feel like there's lots more to cover, but you know. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: I know. I really want to talk about all the edible things that you can do with trees, right? Because <laughs> this is Earth Because <laughs> she just Pickled made um, magnolia mag- mag-
2: buds. Yes, you can mm-hmm. pickle the buds of magnolia. Yeah, they taste almost like ginger. It's like almost like a cross between like ginger like in like pepper like peppercorns and like it has like a floral taste obviously but yeah I pickled them in rice vinegar to it, it was they're really good and is it like a fridge pickle where you can eat it pretty soon yeah. or yeah, is so it yeah okay. so I did quick pickles with them and it's the buds though not the blossom so you, can, you can pickle the whole flowers but like the buds are just more substantial because you can kind of pluck them out like a pickle
1: so if we get this in the show can I Bloomington has recipes
2: <laughs> <laughs> for trees stuff <laughs>
0: say that after this interview, I started noticing trees a lot more. I started noticing their size and guessing about how old they might be and thinking about that long game. There's the old Chinese proverb. You may have heard it. The best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. You can find more information about Canopy Bloomington on our website, eartheats.org quick note, Hannah Gregory is no longer the forestry director for Canopy Bloomington, but she continues to serve in an informal consulting role. Thanks for listening. That's it for our show this week. We'll see you next time. The Earth Eats team includes Violet Barron, Ayoban Binder, Alex Chambers, Mark Chilla, Toby Foster, Abraham Hill, Daniela Richardson, Samantha Schemenauer, Peyton Whaley, and Harvest Public Media. Special thanks this week to Sarah Mincy and Hannah Gregory, and everyone at Canopy Bloomington, to the students and staff at Fairview Elementary, and to the volunteers at Enterprise. The show is produced and edited by me, Kate Young. Our theme music is composed by Aaron Toby and performed by Aaron and Matt Toby. Additional music on the show comes to us from Universal Production Music. Our executive producer is John Bailey.